thank you, Father, that you, you are a good Father. And Lord, I believe, and I hope everyone in this room believes that you are here with us now by your Holy Spirit. And as always, Lord, we pause after a time of worship as we have come into your presence, we recognized who you are, and we just give time for you, Holy Spirit, if you desire to speak through the body to do so. As we just take some time to just pause and just be in your presence. And as always, if anyone has a word or a picture or a scripture, just come to the microphones. Forgetting those things that are behind, we press on towards the mark, towards the prize, towards the high calling of God, letting go of everything that we need to let go of, anything that hinders, anything that stops, anything that stands in the way of us moving on in him. Amen. Be encouraged, my children, today. It's time to let go and let God. Janet said that the word that she sees is peace. In addition to what uh, what Brother Bill had spoken, the Lord put on my heart, is that you have to be able to, you have to be willing to open your hands 
and let go of what you have in them in order to take what he has for you. We're willing to hold on to all kinds of stuff that we have. And God says, if I have better for you, will you not put down what you have and take up what I have ready for you? When I think of the message that we're going to have today, um, I'm going to show a video by Tim Keller, uh, quite a famous preacher, and uh, on hard times and everything that's being spoken here because I've listened to this talk many times. I've had it for a year and I go and listen to it every once in a while and I've been waiting for the right time to play for the church and I think today is the day for no other reason than I just think today is the day but it's talking about how to go through hard times and the perspective that we need to have when we're in the middle of hard times it's absolutely one of the best uh, talks uh, I've ever had uh, on it and um, so for those at home uh, Jeremy's going to put up a, a slide and uh, it will give you, says Tim Keller and Hard Times, just go to YouTube and uh, just type that in and the talk will come up and then you can watch it at home. Because of the copyright rules, we can't stream, of course, something fr from uh, YouTube. So just go to that and when you're finished, come back uh, because we're going to be uh, doing some stuff at the end. So that's for people at home. Um, but anyway, I'm really, kind of excited for you to hear this talk and it's revived me many times uh, and, and righted my perspective about suffering and hard and dark times as a Christian. So Jeremy, if you could start that, that would be great. Uh, I must apologize to you about the uh, sermon I'm about to preach because uh, the, the service is filled with joy uh, the worship up to now has brought us to a, a mountaintop, and now I'm going to take you into the valley. I, I do I seriously need to at least warn you that there is a mountaintop on the other side of this valley, but we're going to be reading Psalm 88. It has to do with what, uh, how Christians should act when they are uh, going through very dark times. So I, I actually am uh, warning you. Uh, especially the first of the four points of this sermon, is a real downer. Uh, but there really is, as we go into the valley, there really is uh, uh, something wonderful on the other side. Now let me read to you from Psalm 88. I'll just read verses 1 to 2 and then 6 to the end, 18. O Lord, the God who saves me, day and night I cry out before you, May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily upon me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. 
You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, O Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do those who are dead rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness and destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, O Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I have been afflicted and close to death. I have suffered your terrors and I'm in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your, your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken my companions and my loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. Now, the Bible, especially the book of Psalms, is filled with prayers by suffering people, people who are going through darkness. But virtually all of them end on a note of hope. So almost all the prayers that you read in the Psalms by uh, uh, people who are uh, in difficult times, they're going through suffering, by the end of the, the prayer, there's always some note in which uh, the psalmist says, I see you here, or I know I will see your goodness in the land of the living, or I, I know you're with me, or something along that, those lines. But there's two psalms, and I've, we're looking at one of them. There are two psalms in the Psalter, Psalm 39 and Psalm 88, that do not end on a note of hope at all. In fact, you'll notice the word darkness shows up three times in this psalm, including at the end. It's clearly the theme. And actually, even though in the English translation, the last line is darkness is my closest friend, in, in Hebrew, the last word of the psalm is darkness. In other words, the very, very end, uh, a more literal translation would be, and my only friend, my closest friend now, is darkness. And that's the end of the prayer. Now, what kind of prayer ends like that? What kind of prayer ends not in hope but in darkness? What is this prayer doing in the Bible? It's here, I think, to teach us a number of things. Four things. This, this psalm is going to teach us that Darkness can be something that lasts a long time for a believing Christian. A believing Christian can be in darkness for a good while. That's the first thing. Secondly, however, it will teach us there's no better place to learn about the grace of God than in dark times. And also there's no better place, thirdly, to become a person of greatness than in dark times. And lastly, darkness can be relativized. Let's look at these three, these four things. First of all, first thing we learn here is the darkness is something that for a believing Christian can last a good while. This man says in the very beginning, you are the God who saves me. So he's actually trusting God as Savior. He's trusting God as Savior and he's praying. He says every day I'm praying to you and I'm coming to you and I'm calling to you and I'm trusting you as Savior. Now there's two kinds of darkness. Outer darkness has more to do with the circumstances of your life. We don't really know exactly what's happening to this man. We do know that he's losing all of his friends. We also know that he seems to be facing death. At least it's either imminent or possible because those questions 
where he says, do the dead rise and pray you, praise you? Uh, is your righteousness known in the land of oblivion? He's clearly facing death. We're not sure exactly what the problems are, but actually I always find that in the book of Psalms, when I'm reading this uh, a, a prayer by a person suffering, and I don't quite know what the person's going through, it's easier to make it my own. It's easier for me to enter in and, and have it help me. So outwardly, his, the circumstances of his life are darkness, but inwardly he's experiencing darkness too. You see, if outwardly things are going very badly in your life, but inwardly you sense God's presence and love, you can make it. But that's not what's happening here. He feels abandoned. He feels God is angry with him and has rejected him. He feels that God is gone. So he's experiencing both outward darkness and inward darkness, and he's praying, and he's trusting God as Savior. And by the end of, this, of the, the prayer, he's still in darkness. What is the teaching here then? And the teaching is that you can be a believing Christian. You can be trusting God for, for your salvation. You can be praying and doing, doing uh, what you think you should be doing, and yet it doesn't get any better for a long time. Now, you might say, well, you warned me. This, this first point was a downer. And it is. On the other hand, it's a mercy too. Why is it a mercy? Well, first of all, it teaches us something. It teaches us about the realism of the Bible. Let me quote from that great work of art, The Princess Bride, that movie, The Princess Bride. And there's a great line in that great work of art. It goes like this. Life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. Well, guess what? The Bible isn't selling something. If you're thinking about becoming a Christian, if you're wondering whether I should have anything to do with Christianity, I want you to know Christianity is realistic. It's not selling you anything. It tells you you can do everything right, and you can have pretty long times in which the darkness just doesn't lift. But there's also a mercy here. See, our expectations. Uh, uh, Kathy and I, over the years, have had people actually literally say this, or they say it in different words. They say, when I became a Christian, I figured that now that I'm a Christian, now that I'm walking with God, nothing really bad could happen to me. And you see, when, if that's your expectation, now I'm a Christian, I'm kind of safe. Bad things can't happen to me. I'm, I'm a Christian. I, I, you know, I'm a good person now. I'm... I've cleaned up my life. That real bad things can't happen to me. Well, you say, okay, uh, I know somebody better than you, way better than you, Jesus Christ. And he did not have a great life. He was rejected. He was tortured and killed. In other words, and, and he actually says, by the way, Jesus says in John chapter 16, in this world you will have trouble. <laughs> And he even says, a servant is not above his master. Uh, the world hated me, it's going to hate you. And, and here's the mercy. Expectations are a big part of how you handle suffering. See, the suffering is painful and terrible. But what if on top of that, and this is your fault if you do it, the suffering may not be your fault, but, the, but false expectations, the idea that, well, now that I'm following Jesus, bad things really can't happen to me even though they happen to Jesus, but they won't happen to me. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what Jesus says. And your expectations, if they, if they are aligned with reality, uh, knowing that the Bible is not selling anything to you, if they're aligned with reality, it can, have a, a, it can help you enormously face the troubles. 
Because very often, half the pain that you're experiencing is not from the suffering, it's from those false expectations. How could this be happening? This shouldn't happen to me. A servant is not above his master, but the master. So this is the, you know, okay, let's, let's uh, just, you should be glad to know this is the worst of the four points. And yet there's a mercy in it. Adjust. The Bible's not selling anything. There's a realism about Christianity. And therefore, you really can stay in darkness a fairly long time and, and, and be a Christian and, do th- and pray to God. But point two, it's in the dark times that are the, the dark times are really the best place and time to learn about the grace of God. See, I've given the man credit, but let's, let's take a look at, at the way in which he prays. Here's, here's some things he's not doing all that well. <clears throat> For example, some of this prayer is not really a prayer. It's an interrogation. So, for example, when he says, do you show your wonders to the dead? Do those who are dead rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave? These are, these are sarcastic rhetorical questions. He says, is your faithfulness known in the land of destruction? Here's what he's saying. He says, I want to be your witness. I want to tell the world about you. How am I going to do that if I'm dead? If, if you, I have all these things I want to do for you. You know that. And yet you're not letting me do any of them. What the, how much sense does that make? He comes very close to saying, answer me, God. Uh, some people would call this intemperate. Some people would call it blasphemous, falling somewhere in the middle. But, of course, he's not controlling his heart. He's not being deferential. He's not being respectful. He's not saying, thy will be done. Oh, no. Also, by the way, many commentators point something out that you might miss. I certainly have over the years. But there's another place where he says, from my youth I have been afflicted and close to death. From my youth I have suffered your terrors and am in despair. Now we're going to see in a minute, because the, uh, the heading of this psalm tells us who this person is who's writing this or praying this, uh, that this is almost certainly an exaggeration. What he's actually saying is, all my life I've been in danger of death. All my life you have been abandoning me. You know, you've never been there for me, God. Never. That's really what he's saying, and, and almost certainly that's an exaggeration. And there's a tendency for us to do that when we're in despair, when we're just uh, out of our minds with anger and grief and, and fear and despair. We, we, we tend to read everything in our life through that moment. Uh, instead of standing back and saying, well, Lord, in the past you did many good things for me, and some of the Psalms do that. This guy is not doing that. This prayer is not doing that. He's saying, you've never been there for me. He's exaggerating. He's cross-examining God. He's being incredibly disrespectful, if not blasphemous. And, of course, the last statement, darkness is my closest friend, is quite of charge. You know what he's saying? He's saying to God, God, darkness is is a better friend than you are right now. I'd rather have darkness than you. Even darkness is more of a comfort than you are. So he's not doing things very well. And you have to ask yourself the question, why in the world is this prayer in the Bible? And many years ago, uh, this prayer and also Psalm 88 and Psalm 39, which are very similar, Psalm 39 ends with the psalmist saying, turn your face away from me, God, so I can get a little bit of peace before I die. So Psalm 39 and Psalm 88 end with this uh, despair and this anger toward God, and it just ends that way. And I always did, I never knew what to do with these prayers. I just sort of, sort of skipped over them really quickly. I would never imagine, by the way, preaching on them. 
And then, but many years ago, I read uh, just two, two sentences in a little commentary by Derek Kidner. Derek Kidner was the warden of Tyndale House in Cambridge for many, many years. And uh, talking about these prayers, he said something that just went through me like a shaft. It changed my life, not only toward these prayers, but it changed my life in understanding how to handle darkness. And this is what he said, quote, the very presence of these prayers in scripture is a witness to God's understanding. God knows how men speak when they are desperate. Now, do you realize what that means? What, what Kidner is saying is the very fact that God put these in the Psalter, God put them there. They're there because God put them there. What does that tell us about God? A lot. See, you don't have God looking at this prayer saying, I don't want that in my Bible. My goodness, I don't want, I don't want anybody to think that it's okay to pray like that. I don't want to identify myself as the God of someone who prays like that. But God does put it in the Bible. And that means God is identifying with those of us who sometimes pray like that. You know why? He's a God of grace. He's understanding. He knows how we speak when we're desperate. Oh, my word. God is saying, I am the God of this man, even though he's not getting it right. Because I'm a God of grace. And here's what he's saying to you. God is saying to you through the psalm, he says, I am your God, not because you put on a happy face in the morning. I am your God, not because you say everything right, not because you do everything right. I'm your God because I'm a God of grace. You know how liberating that is. I can tell you, I, I, let me just say, I've learned 10 times more about the grace of God in dark times than I ever did in times of prosperity. Number three, not only are dark times the best places to learn about the grace of God, they're also the best places to become a person of greatness. What do I mean? Well, it's true that he's not doing things right. He's saying a lot of things he shouldn't be saying. He's insulting God. He's saying quite a few things he shouldn't be saying. But he is saying them to God. And that reminds us of the entire book of Job. See, let's think about the book of Job. Job the book of Job starts with Satan coming in to the presence of God. And God says, have you seen my servant Job? There is none like him in all the earth. And Satan says to God, does Job serve God for naught? Does Job serve God for nothing? So what Satan's doing is he's, he's questioning the idea that, God, that, that Job really serves God or really loves God. Here, basically, here's what he's saying. He says, when he says, does Job serve God for nothing? What he's saying is, Job is in a transactional relationship with you, God. Job is doing X, Y, Z, but only because you do X, Y, Z. Job is praying and he's going and he's making, he's doing sacrifices and he's, and he's obeying your commands. But because you answer his prayers and you bless him and you give him your peace and you do all these things, he's not really loving you for you. It's all transactional. He's actually loving himself and using you. He's doing things only because you are benefiting him. So take away those things. Give him outer darkness and inner darkness. And you'll see he'll curse you because he's just a mercenary. 
He doesn't love you for yourself. He's loving himself and using you. Now, that's quite a charge, uh, especially when you, that has probably happened to everybody in this room at one point. Have you ever thought that somebody liked you for you, that they actually just loved you or like you, and then you found out they were using you because they felt like, well, you could open a door for them, or through you, they could, they could get to somebody else, and it's a horrible feeling of being used. You feel like, hey, I thought you liked me, and you're just using me, okay? Well, how do you think God feels? And how much less appropriate is that to use God that way? So what Satan is bringing up is actually very important. And of course, don't forget that the book of Job was written to everyone to read. Now, whoever wrote the book of Job did not want us just to hear that Satan was saying that about Job. The author of the book of Job wants us to see that, Jake, that Satan is saying that about us. Satan is saying, do we really serve God for naught? Do we serve God for nothing? Do we really love God for himself? Or are we in a transactional relationship? Okay, so uh, class, is Satan right about you and me? And I think the an honest answer, please don't answer that, I'm the preacher. Uh, I think the right answer to that is to some degree, yeah. And at least we all start out that way. Let's be honest about it. We all come to God. It doesn't mean I, you don't really trust in Christ as Savior. I'm not saying you haven't really said, I really want to believe and I really want to follow Jesus. But to a great degree, in the beginning, we come because we got a problem or because we got a need or there's an emptiness or something. And we come because we want something. And if we stay in that state, we'll be up and down depending on how things are going. There's, a certain, there's still a self-centeredness in the middle of our Christianity. And it's the reason why we're getting all knocked around all the time. Everything, something comes along and it, 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 we say, why isn't God doing this? And we really get cast down and get upset. But here's what's happening. An Old Testament professor years ago, trying to help me understand the book of Job, said, do you notice how after Job says all these terrible prayers, because a lot of Job's prayers are very similar to this. He's always saying terrible things to God. But at the very end, Job, uh, God says, Job has honored me. And he actually turns to Job's friends and says, you better, better ask Job to pray for you. I'm going to smite you. Job has honored me and you have not. And the Old Testament professor said, why in the world after all those terrible prayers would God say, Job honored me? And he says, the answer is, they were prayers. You see, Job was being angry and he was complaining and he was being angry, but he was, he was being angry and complaining to God. He never walked away from God. He said, I don't understand you, God. I'm angry at you, but he never turned away. He stayed with God when he was getting nothing out of it, which means in the end, Satan was defeated. And what's happening here is this man, even though he is not in any way praying the way he ought to pray, he's still praying. He says, darkness is my closest friend, but he's saying it to God which means Satan is defeated. Which means when you go through darkness, if you don't feel God's there, but you hold on anyway and you say, you know what? You're God and I'm not. And I'm not getting anything out of this, but I'm still gonna pray. I'm still gonna go to church and worship. I'm still gonna love my neighbor. I'm still gonna do the things I ought to do. That will turn you into a person, not self-centered, not in a transactional relationship, up and down all the time, It'll turn you into a person of endurance, of stability, 
of strength, of greatness. At the end of the uh, book, Lord of the Rings, the book, not the movie, Sam, you know, the friend of Frodo, they're on their way to Mount Doom, and they, they're getting close to the end, and their strength is almost out, and Sam looks up to the top of Mount Doom, and he suddenly realizes, we're going to die. No matter what happens, we're going to die. And the thought comes to him, just lay down, curl up in a little ball, and go to sleep. And then, what the text tells us, then something begins to happen. And it says this, quote, but even as hope died in Sam, or seemed to die, it was turned to a new strength. Sam's plain hobbit face grew stern, almost grim, as the will hardened in him, and he felt through all his limbs a thrill, as if he was turning into some creature of stone and steel that neither despair nor weariness nor endless barren miles could subdue. He was being turned into something of greatness, and it's in the darkness where you throw away that transactional approach. It's almost like when bad things happen, God is looking at you and saying, okay, now we're going to figure out whether you got into the Christian faith to get me to serve you or in order that you would serve me. Now we're going to find out because right now you're not going to get much out of a relationship with me. Now we're going to see whether you're serving me or yourself, whether you're loving me or yourself. And when you say, okay, I'm going to love you, I'm going to serve you, it's going to change you. It's going to make you an unflappable person. It's going to make you, you know, what it made Sam, you know. He was turning into some creature of stone and steel that neither despair nor weariness nor endless barren miles could subdue. Now, lastly, it, it does begin to, we've, we've actually up to now really not addressed the question. He believed his darkness was objective. And he believed his darkness was permanent. He says so. He doesn't believe, he's not saying, I just feel that you're not here, God. He's saying, you're not there. And he doesn't say that this is temporary. He says, this is permanent. In other words, the, uh, this man believed that his darkness was absolute, not relative. It wasn't temporary. It wasn't subjective versus objective. And it wasn't, he wasn't saying subjectively, I feel you're not there, but objectively, I know you're there. No, no. It was absolute. But we know he's wrong. We know his suffering actually was relative. It was temporary. And that God really was there for him. How do we know that? Well, because the, uh, the psalmist, the man who wrote the psalm, was a man named Heman. Not Haman, who is the villain of the book of Esther, but Heman. And what we know about Heman is this, that in 1 Chronicles 6, Heman was the leader of the Kohathite guild of musicians and poets who wrote many of the psalms. If you want to go see some of them, they were in, uh, in the 40s, the, the, the 40s in the psalms, or the 80s in the psalms. Now keep this in mind. The psalms, the, the book, the psalms, is one of the greatest uh, works of literary history in the history of the world. Everybody understands that, whether you're a Christian or not. And that means that this man wrote some of the greatest literary art, musical art, in the history of the world. It means millions of people have been helped by him. And what does that mean? You know how pressure turns a piece of coal into a diamond? This suffering was not absolute. It was relative. It was temporary. And God was there because through this suffering, this man was being turned into a great artist. Somebody who, by the way, do you think Heman, when he was going through this, 
thought that 2,500 years later, several thousand people in the middle of London would be talking about his great works? Do you think that's what they, they, they would have thought? Absolutely not. He couldn't have thought that. But you see, he couldn't see it. But we can. What we can see is that God was there, that God was working. It was temporary. God was turning him into something wonderful and great that he was going to use the rest of, for centuries. And you can know that too. If God is your Savior, if you're relying on him, he is there even though you don't feel it. He hasn't abandoned you. He is working. You say, well, how do I know that? Here's how you can know that. The end of the book of, at the end of Psalm 39, God's face is turned away. The end of Psalm 88, darkness. Losing God's face, darkness. Does that sound familiar to you? Matthew 27, 45. From the sixth hour to the ninth hour, darkness came down over all the land. At the ninth hour, Jesus Christ on the cross cried, My God, my God, why have you turned your face from me? No, why have you forsaken me? And at that moment, the earth shook and the rocks split and the tombs broke open and the body of the holy people who had died were raised to life. Heman thought he was getting the absolute total darkness. He was totally abandoned by God. No, Jesus got the total darkness that Heman thought he was getting. When Jesus went to the cross, he was abandoned. Really? Not just subjectively. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? On the cross, Jesus Christ really got the wrath of God. Not just I felt the wrath. He actually got the wrath of God. Everybody abandoned Jesus, so only Jesus Christ, of all the people who have ever trusted God as Savior, only Jesus Christ. Darkness really was his only friend. His disciples had left him. His people had left him. His father had abandoned him. Darkness was his only friend. You know why? He was taking the sins upon himself that we had committed. Satan's right about us. We do exploit others. We are self-centered. We do use other people. We deserve to have God turn his face away from us. We deserve that darkness. But Jesus took the darkness so that when you believe in him, your sins are forgiven. Or put it another way. Jesus Christ experienced darkness as his only friend. So in your darkness, you can know that Jesus is still your friend. He's still there. Jesus was truly abandoned so that you will only feel abandoned. And you can know that God's still there. He's not going to abandon you. No matter what you've done wrong, because of what Jesus Christ has done, he's taken the penalty. It all fell on him. It all fell into his heart. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he felt that darkness coming down on him, and he knew that he had to die in order to save us, he stayed with us. He did not abandon us in his darkness. So why in the world do you think he would abandon you and yours now? He won't do it. Listen. You remember that sarcastic question? That sarcastic question that Heman asked? What he said? He says, do the dead rise up and praise you? If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the answer is, yeah, you will rise up. And you hold on to that. You hold on to that. I know a woman with some chronic illness. Occasionally you ask her, how are you feeling? Doesn't it hurt? Aren't you in a lot of uh, discomfort? And she says, nothing that the resurrection won't cure. And she's absolutely right. Hold on to that. Cling to that. 
Michael Wilcock is another guy who wrote a really great little commentary on, on this psalm, and this is what he says. I'll close with these words. He says in, about Psalm 88, this darkness can happen to a believer, this psalm says, it doesn't mean you're lost. This darkness can happen to someone who does not deserve it. After all, it happened to Jesus. That doesn't mean you've strayed. This darkness can happen at any time as long as this world lasts because only in the next world will such things be done away with. This darkness can happen without you knowing why. But there are answers, there is a purpose, and eventually you will know it. Powerful stuff, eh? How many were spoken to by that? Boy, oh boy. Those principles, the, the idea of having a wrong expectation. I don't know about you, but I am so guilty of that. And am I ever getting a, a quick lesson over the last year about false expectations, wrong expectations about what it is to be a Christian and what it is to walk with Jesus. And the idea of grace, learning that God loves you when you absolutely have no concept of it. You're not feeling it. You're not being helped along by some ooey-gooey feeling on a Sunday morning. You have to simply find it in the middle of the darkness. And God sang it to you over and over again in his word. I've been very fortunate over the, the last year that I have had literally uh, a line of people tell me over and over again from Cuba to out west to wherever coming back with the same statement, God loves you, Keith. God is with you. God is holding you. He's hugging you. He loves you. And at some point you either believe that or you don't believe it. And when you don't believe it, that's a very, very scary state to be. But I will give it this, that it takes time sometimes to believe that. Jesus was on that cross for three hours from 12 o'clock till 3 o'clock in darkness and utter separation from God. And he said nothing. He said nothing. He could have called legions of angels, but for three hours he hung there and said nothing and sometimes it's best we just say nothing and just trust and when he finally did speak he gave his life up will we follow even when we are not receiving I think it's one of the great wake ups for the western church because we have created a populist church in the West that is is geared around God giving you something, whether it be wealth or health or whatever it might be. Um, and that's a hard that's a hard one when God starts taking that apart. Because you know it and I know it that that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. But does God give us things? Absolutely. Does God promise to be with us and, and speak to us? Yes, those things are, are, are true. But we also have to be able to accept what 
Tim Keller's talking about too, and find our spiritual place in that. And it's not easy. It will make or break. But God's desire is to make us a people of greatness. Even if that greatness is only being able to trust in the middle of absolute darkness. There's a statistic that says it was from a gentleman who wrote a book. Uh, He was an Auschwitz survivor, concentration camp survivor. I don't know how he got the information. I'd like to look it up, but I remember reading it from his book. More people came to their faith during those years of concentration in Germany in those camps than lost it. There's something about difficulty that makes us. There's something that changes us uh, in difficulty. And I know many of you have been through very difficult things, and the last year of my life has been the most difficult, absolutely by far, of the 61 years I've lived. But in it, it is a powerful thing to find the love of God, that you can trust it. When the situation is telling you that you're, you're lost, you're, you remember every horrible thing you ever did and you're feeling punished and judged by it, you're being told that you've been abandoned. But to find the love of God in the middle of that, and that's not a feeling. It's not a feeling. It is a truth that we have to take a hold of in the middle of the night and say, I am going to believe this. I am going to believe this. And when you say scripture and it just goes and falls right on the ground, but you keep saying it and you keep believing it, even when you have no sensation of faith, this is what makes greatness. Even if the greatness only God sees. God may be the only one who sees it and the devil. And we say, well, that doesn't seem good. Like we should get something for it, shouldn't we? We will. On that day we stand in front of him and he says, well done. (coughs) Well done, good and faithful servant. Not that you've conquered kingdoms and that you've written books and that all those things, but that you have in the middle of the night, in the middle of the darkness, in the middle of the doubt, in the middle of all the disbelief, in the middle of all the pain and all the unanswered questions, you say, but I trust God. One of the things said to me, someone sent me a picture that they saw way back, probably around January when they sent it to me. And the the picture that I got out of it was, and what she said to me was, Nothing is going to separate us from the love of God that he has for us in Christ Jesus. No demon, no situation, no, no nothing. Romans 8, she knows. Nothing is going to separate us. And she said, and I see Keith, the enemy coming and showing you terrible things about yourself. Terrible things. And you're able to say, but nothing will separate me from the love of God. When you get a hold of that kind of stuff, the devil is done. That is spiritual warfare. It's not screaming and hollering in a prayer meeting. 
though it's I've done that and you've done that, and we've all I probably at times walked out and said, I wonder if that <laughs> actually did anything. But nonetheless, what does do something is when in the silence and the grit of struggle and trial and darkness and hardship, we're able to say, but I trust God. And that's when angels go, okay, we've just been called to work. So we need to obviously receive what God has said today in some manner, shape, or form. And I guess what we can do is simply, if you're going through a difficult time, have been going through a difficult time, you're discouraged, whatever it is, you need to stand today in a statement of, I trust you, Lord. Even like Job said, even if he slay me, yet will I praise him. And praise is not necessarily singing songs in some kind of euphoric state. Praise can simply be a simple bow of the head and recognizing God. That can be praise. So, Father, this morning we come and we have heard your word and we have heard this incredible psalm and the incredible pain that this person obviously felt they were living and were living. And Father, this morning we just come to you and bring ourselves to you. And we give to you, Father God. We put behind all those things and we let go of them and we just hold to you today, Father. And we receive your peace that, Father God, you died to give us to you. And we understand that it's not by our might and it's not by our power and it's not by how great a Christian we can be and what great things we can do, but it's by your spirit, God, that anything is going to get done and that you are with us and you will never forsake us. It doesn't matter what we are going through or what we are experiencing. So, Father, as we stand today, we receive your grace and love and the truth that you are with us. So if you feel at this stand, Father, as we stand today, we are making a testament, we are making a statement, and we are standing in belief that, Father God, you are with us, and that, Father, truly nothing formed against us will prosper. Father God, there may be battles lost, but the war has been won by Christ Jesus, and we just speak what was done on Calvary, and we receive that Jesus was our judgment, our punishment, our abandonment. That he took everything that we feel in these dark times, everything the enemy tries to make us feel, he took on that cross. So, Father, we know that we are not being punished, we are not being judged, we are not being abandoned, but that, Father God, Christ is with us, interceding for us even today. And, Father, 
we just give you our lives anew and afresh today. Come, Lord Jesus, and be the Lord of our lives. Come and live in our heart and give us the peace that you said that the world can't give, but you give it to us, and that we are not to worry or be fearful, but you have overcome the world, and you will overcome all that is coming against us, Father God, both now and in what is to come. And we just say yes to you. And we think of the resurrection. And Father, the end of John says that, Father, we are in you and you are in the Father and you and the Father are one. Therefore, we are in you. We are in the resurrection this morning. And all the benefits, all the power, all the authority of the resurrection. And that resurrection power came into the church and allowed it to do two things allowed it to speak with great authority and power and miraculous manifestation and also gave it the power to endure great persecution. So, Father, we receive that power today. And, Father, we believe in Jesus' name that you are with us and we thank you. Amen. 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 Whew. God is good. specific in my head, but I just feel to pray for you. And as, as she stands, would you just also think about hope? And if anything comes to your mind, uh, you know, you're free to come to the microphone. But Father, I pray for hope. Father God, I thank you for her. I thank you for her history of faith. I thank you, Father God, that your faith has brought her to where she is today. And that your faith has kept her. And Father, your faith and your spirit has also kept her with her testimony. As much has come against her and much has tried to uh, stop her from her forward stepping in you and going forward in her life. But Lord, I have seen and you have seen that, Father, she has stood still in your mercy and your grace and your love. And Father, I just pray a future over hope. I pray a future over her today. There is yet even more. Don't be concerned about the fact that it might be looking like it's stalled or that it's something has stopped. But the Lord wants you to know that he has a hope for you and that you have every reason to hope. It's almost like uh, dusting something off and taking a look at it again and looking at your life and your future. Believe again, hope. Believe again. Have great expectations for your life. Have great expectations about what God is able to reconstruct and put back together. Have great hope about what he's able to do through you and the doors that he's able to open as you have such a history of God opening doors for you. And understand that he can continue to do that and open doors. Especially, I see one very large, big door and it's very big and it's very strong. And it's, but God can open that. God can open that door. And there's much more for you. You know that and scripture tells us that. But Father, I pray for hope and I just pray your blessing on her this morning. A renewing and a rejuvenation of faith, hope and 
uh, determination and onward walking in you, Father God. And I really feel uh, what was said, forgetting the things that were behind this morning, that word, I just have a sense that it's very much for you, Hope, to put behind you, just let go of those things and move on, move on in what God has for you. And don't worry about those things from behind that don't make sense and may kind of concern you and make you get confused and why and was it the right and was it the wrong and all that stuff. Just leave that. Focus on your future and Christ in it with you. And Father, I thank you for, for the wonderful testimony she has been in this church and is in this church. And I pray, Father God, your blessing in Jesus' name. Go ahead. What I saw, Hope. Hello. Yeah, the top. The top. What I saw, oh, there we go. What I saw personally was the eyes of the Father looking at you. That's called the, the center point of God's vision. God has his eye on you. You're the apple of his eye. So his focus is not taken away from you. Secondly, it was do not be weary in doing that which is right before God. Don't be weary. And the third thing, when the pastor spoke that the door that he saw in front of you is to be opened, I believe that what I saw in the spirit was you have to place your hand on the door with him. You have to be in agreement with him when that door is presented to be opened. You'll be in the, in the presence of the door, but you are to put your hand on the door. You cannot open this door by yourself, but you are to be alongside God when he does that. Yeah. I pray God would bless you, and your name is Hope for a reason. Yeah. Hope for a reason. Yeah. Hope, as he said that about the door of the agreement, the sense came to me about saying, yes. Yes, God, you can and I will go through this door. Go ahead and start through. Um, I felt people um, kept saying that the word that came to my mind is transformation. Mm. Um, and then butterfly effect. So you are right now probably, I don't know your history, but probably at the crux period right now. There's a lot of work that you need to do, but one day you're going to be transformed into a butterfly that you will just fly out. Oh, that's so beautiful. So endure and embrace even at the crux period because God allows it. Yes. Whatever things that God allows it, although sometimes we may feel we don't like it, discomfort, but embrace it lovable that God is with you and you will become a butterfly. That's beautiful. Thank you, Sophia. Think about a, the caterpillar coming a butterfly. It goes into the, the cocoon. I forget the technical name for that. Chrysalis. Chrysalis that's it. And uh, it goes in there and it doesn't do anything. It just stays still. That's all it has to do, just stay still. And I mean, we have to go to work and you have to, you have a job and all those things, you, whatever it is you do in life, right? We have to do those things. But there's something about what God is determining to do in your life. He, he's going to do it. And you don't have to do it. Um, and God uh, will give you the ability to walk that and know how to do that. But uh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Anyone else? Bill. 
Thanks, girl. Okay, thank you, host. Um, Tamasha, I want to pray for you. Come on, stand. Father, I pray for Tamasha. And the first word that comes to me is tired. Um, Lord, I pray for her strength. And I pray for the many things that seem to be almost out of control, not out of control, but all these bits and pieces of her life spinning about and and don't seem to be in order and don't seem to be uh, going the way they should and stuff. And it's, and it's hard. It's hard. And uh, Father, I pray for Tamasha. I pray that you, Holy Spirit, will come and remind her of those scriptures, even when she was much younger, scriptures that you gave her, and that the word of God is going to be your strength. You can really trust it, Tamasha. I just feel the, the Lord saying you can really trust those promises and those things uh, that are in the word of God for you. And you can hold on to those. And I, I just pray, Father, that you bring some order into the things that seem to be all over the place, especially around the family and, and other things. And, uh, Father, I just pray strength for her this morning. I pray a supernatural strength. And you have not been forgotten, Tamasha. You have not been forgotten. And I, I just hear the statement that God's saying, I, I've been watching you since you were a little girl. And I just see you as a little girl, Tamasha, and uh, just so joyful and just so uh, running around playful and full of life. And I pray this on you again. I pray the little girl in you, the joy, the happiness, the singing, the dancing, all of that would, would resurrect and come up and swell into your life. And Father, I just pray for her this morning that you would let her know that she has not been forgotten and uh, that the future holds things. Things will come into order. Things will, ha will work their way out. But, Father, I pray for her today just for strength and uh, that she would be encouraged in her spirit that the Lord is with you and uh, is going to help you. And I, there's something around resources. Uh, I feel the Lord is going to provide resources and that you're not to worry about that, that the Lord will take care of the needs that he wants you to meet and your own needs. Um, and I just pray an abundance of resources, both strength, finances, health, all those things uh, upon you. And if anyone has anything for uh, for Tamasha, go ahead, Sophia. The word that came to me is speak. So you need to prophesy. You will speak word of wisdom upon your own self and your family and the things that is around be able to live above the natural, see into the spiritual, what God has for you, what God has in store for you, and speak. I believe that there were one point of time that you know how to speak, but you probably been so tired and worn because of the things that is happening and surrounding you, but Lord say that you speak the word, they speak the word of God that will come through for you. Oh, that's wonderful. I've really witnessed to that. 
Go ahead, Janet. I'll say what I'll say what it is you're saying. Yeah, we can get so, so, it is hard when, when you're tired and when things aren't going the way that we want them to go and everything seems chaotic um, and, you, and it, it is very, you're trying to fix it all, you know, and it's natural and there's, there's nothing wrong with that, but the idea of just being able to, I, I like what Sophia said in the word there from the Lord about speak to it speak to it prophetically in the sense of speaking the word of God to it and uh, that's a wonderful promise for you it's wonderful yeah yeah letting it go go ahead Willie what I got when you were speaking and and Shortly after Sophie spoke, it came the joy of the Lord. And, and hear this. The joy of the Lord will return to you. It will return. Because it's gone and you thought things so desolate and so desperate that this isn't going to happen again. And I say in Jesus' name, it is going to happen again. And when the joy comes, the peace will return with it. Yes. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you, Lord. This is for anyone who's going through um, difficult time right now, and it's for the, both the ladies that you pray with, Ralph, um, just to press into the character of God and who God is, because mm. people around us and even like maybe your granddads will just um, warp who God is. Like yes. Like look from Genesis to Revelation, just Google search character of God and who God is and what he has done just press into that truth because you need that truth rather than um, the shaky like falsehood mm. and the voices that um, are coming from you. That is the, that's so good. Thank you so much for that because the number one thing the enemy is after, what he wants to destroy is our perception of God. He wants to get us to think that God is actually against us or has abandoned us. And as she's saying, we look at the character of God, that does not exist. That does not exist in God's character, that he would abandon his kids and, and let go of them. It's just not there. And that he is good, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy, willing, so willing to forgive us of the most crazy things. And even this psalm, the guy just telling God off, like, just telling God off. And yet, God's saying, that's okay. That's okay. I'm not saying, you know, but, but nonetheless, God is saying, I understand how you're feeling. So, God understands how you're feeling. And he loves you. Thank you, Masha. God is good. A lot of meaty stuff here today. A lot of very important stuff. And... Uh, I, and I say this, I've said it before, 
I believe that the church is coming into, the future of the church is going to have some struggles. It really is. And we need to be, we need to know these things. We need to know the character of God. We need to know that it's okay to have doubt and struggle and darkness and, and all these things that, you know, for most of our lives growing up in the church, in the West, we, we're living in a time of plenty. We had everything and everything was going great. The church had great social equity and it was respected. And now all of a sudden it's all turning around. And we really need to get a hold of what we heard this morning about God and about the reality of what the Christian walk can look like. Go ahead. Uh, I was sitting there listening and, and uh, everything that everybody has heard here this morning and you think that, wow, that's great for Hope and that's good for Tanisha. And then you spoke. And you said anybody, and God said anybody in this place that heard anything at all that resonates with their spirit and knows anything about these girls, what they've gone through and what they're going through now, what was spoken is for you. Mm, yeah. These weren't specifically directed, and yet they were specifically directed to everyone who wants them and everyone who's, who's willing to receive it. Yes. Yeah, take it as yours, you know. Our life is actually a blessing for other people. Even in our difficulties, when we see God touch us in our difficulties, when we see God touch someone in their difficulties, it's a blessing to us to see, yeah, God does that. <laughs> He's still in that business, you know. We need to take up an offering. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to give back. And we do so with thanks and understanding that you are the one who gives us the ability to give. And we do so with thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. And at home you can see uh, where to give.